want to read from Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Sounds of thunder with little feet. From verse 24. Have you switched that uh, tape on? Matthew 13 from verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat, and he went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered. Because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. He told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows it is the largest of garden plants. And it becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. And Father, we come before you and, and we want to know you in our lives and we confess that often there is confusion. And we just pray that your Holy Spirit will meet us this morning and encourage us that we can be part of the solutions we ask you for. And we pray that we would have the, the desire and the hunger and thirst to step into all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, Amen. I want to spend some time really, um, you know, some of you probably are, are, are tired of this Egypt promised land scenario that I keep every time I stand up I speak about. I probably will stop speaking about it when we are living in the promised land with great freedom. Until that day, which will be when we're all dead um, and alive somewhere else. We probably need to be encouraged because our default position, our life experience is so deeply ingrained in the negative, is so deeply ingrained in the darkness and so deeply ingrained in self-sufficiency and despair or effort from my part that it's so hard for us to understand that God said, I, I actually said you can be yoked to me and my yoke is easy. And I think for many of us, we, it's a lovely phrase. It makes a good thing to hang on the wall. But to live it is what we're talking about. And, and the words that have come out of Graham Cook's ministry, and we're not worshipping Graham Cook or Janicini. We're not worshipping Janicini. Are words of how do you live in the promised land? How do you enter in? And as Cheryl said this, she said, you know, you talk about this vague promised land and it's so abstract, but when Janice spoke about it, it gives me tools, it's easier to see how to do it. When she talks about the body and the mind or the body and the soul and the spirit, 
And the body is the stuff we drag around in the flesh and the soul is the mind and thinking we have and the spirit is what God plants in us and how we learn how to live out of the spirit. And when Jesus was talking and what I just read to you about the weeds and the tares, he was talking about the man with the seed, the mustard seed or the, the woman doing the dough. All of that is about activity, interaction, interaction. That life is full of weeds and fruit. And that's life. And it's about how do we interact. And the word that we're hearing and has been spoken to us is about how how do we pray for God to end procrastination in our lives? How do we ask God to, to say, lead me out of passivity? You see, God has done everything already. He has loved the world. He has created the world. He has sent, He has seen the disaster of the world. He has sent His Son in history to be the light of the world, to speak in human ways and human language about the God that lives far bigger than the galaxies we don't understand. He's a God who says, this is how you live. Look at Jesus. Here's an, a prototype of humanity. Look at Him. Listen to Him. Follow Him and find out how the Spirit works. But deep in us is a huge, huge, huge rebellion that says, yeah, that's cool, but I want to be God as well. And so we have this struggle about who's in charge and who's going to run life and what is real world. And because we are so dysfunctional, we actually believe this is the real world and talking about spiritual stuff and miracles and God working through people isn't the real world. And so we have this struggle going on, which is normal. I think it's just important for us to recognize the struggle. And God has done all of this in Jesus, and he, he has given us his word, and he says, Now come, come to me, and I will give you life. I had a, it's not a dream, it's a sort of vision, I suppose, or a mental picture. Um... I think I just started looking at this and I had this picture of, uh, I, I remembered going out to Cambridge in England and, and outside Cambridge are these, these, these huge fields, you've seen them, some of you in Europe, of those who, the crosses, in, you know, of the fields, I've talked about this before, and you go into these fields of crosses, white crosses, it's incredibly moving, and you walk through them and you see the ages of the people who died and they're all under 20, thousands and thousands of them. And I had that picture in my mind and then there was, it sort of transposed into, was transformed into fields and fields of those, you know, those old uh, war ambulances with the red cross on top. And then I thought of, I drove into Port Alberni quite a long time ago and um, it was like everyone were beetles, little beetles, scurrying around. And everyone who said, you know, that they, they followed Jesus, had a white mark on them. So from, the, from above, you could see the white marks. And God seemed to say, you know, you are marked. You have authority. I look and there, there's, there's one of mine. And you have authority. You have stuff to do. And then I saw these ambulances and they were marked. And, and they were in these big, big fields and people were cleaning them. And it was like God saying, you know, 
Everyone who calls me Lord is like one of those ambulances and they actually have all the resources within them to go out and rescue and to do the work I call them to do, to love, to heal, to do the work. It's all there inside them. And the vast majority of my church have parked the ambulances in safe havens and they just have coffee and clean them. And very few go out. But they even pray there and ask me to do stuff. And I've said, I've done it. You, you're fully equipped. And the only the few who go out are the ones who were in the battle and they got brought back in and they know what it's like to be wounded. I mean, these flags are not a joke. These flags are not a game. What we're talking about is not a game. There's a huge battle, but it's, not a, it's already been won. But we're being invited into something that's far more than we've ever had before. And God says, I've done it already, so I'm just asking you to enter in. Um, I'm not exhorting you. I'm not angry with you. I'm just saying uh, the passivity is what keeps us back. It's nothing else. The resources are all given. They're all released. The thing that's so cool with say, Carol doing the demonstration of the Psalm 27 is that she made a mistake and forgot. And you know what? The world didn't fall down. She's still alive and we were blessed. You see, you don't get to do stuff for God perfectly. You just do it humbly because he loved you. And his invitation to us is to draw out of, to, to come into something more. And so the question we ask, I ask is, how has knowing Jesus changed your life? And how is it continuing to change your life in a way that's motivating you to be different? Or are you living on the fumes of something long ago? And how do we keep encouraging one another to be expectant and open and moving forward? How do we enter into the promised land, the kingdom of God on earth, heaven on earth? The Lord's Prayer, we pray so easily, your kingdom come, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You can pray that two ways. Like I did at school and for many years, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, hallowed be thy name, amen. Or you can pray it as a declaration. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A bold declaration of God is God and you know what? We either get to enter into that or we die. We either live in Egypt or we move into the promised land. We either lift the flag and say, though nothing around me bears witness to him, I bear witness to him. And so we've been given uh, this, this, this in invitation to be different because God is different, Jesus is different. And so we have this contrast between Egypt, which is the place of captivity and depression, and the promised land, which is the place where God rules, Jesus rules with freedom. And these are two contrasting realities that are always before us. And the journey between Egypt and the promised land is the journey of transformation, is the journey from captivity into freedom. 
In Egypt, as Janice said, the body rules. It's keeping alive. It's slugging it out as slaves. In the promised land, the spirit rules because the giants don't, are not things that cause me fear. The giants have been overcome by the word of God. So I, in the promised land, I'm not afraid of the giants because God will fight the battle. In Egypt, the giants rule. I'm terrified of them. I'm absolutely oppressed by them. And that is a, a metaphor for life. And you and I know that you can tell the difference between somebody who's a slave and somebody who's coming into freedom. Two contrasting realities in this room right now. It's always that way. Promised land over Egypt is our existence. And it's who we live. The people who originally were the uh, foundation of the Christian church, their bodies were killed in the Colosseum. And their spirits testified to the living God and said, Caesar, you are not Lord. You may take my body with pleasure. The church grew. The, the most significant growth of the Christian church was in the blood of the martyrs. Those who said, we have seen the promised land. We are living in the promised land, so you can do what you like with this body. That's supernaturally courageous. Egypt, again, I say it again, I, it's a place of slavery. It's a place where victims live. It's a place where you, where you, all your, where you are, your countenance is determined by your circumstances. If I'm in a good mood, it's because everything's going well. That's the norm. I mean, the norm of our culture is slavery, so that's the norm. So f there's a frenetic effort to create enough wealth to be able to control your environment so you can be safe. I went to a place yesterday in Mill Bay, a beautiful couple who's got this incredible house. I've never seen so many sitting rooms in my life. And the man's retired and he's probably dying of prostate cancer. It doesn't matter how much you have. So in Egypt we wait and we endure and we try and make the best of it. In the promised land we have a citizenship and an identity that is not ours. We have a, we have a freedom that says God is sufficient for me and I'm working it out in this life and not just waiting for it to happen on the other side of death. The promised land is a place where people live and demonstrate the qualities of love and joy and patience. And irrespective of their circumstances, they're not stupid. They just recognize that life on this earth is highly uh, unpredictable, highly dangerous, could kill you. And they go, but I'm at peace with that because God has promised to be with me. And he's not just the sanctified religious figure, he's a real presence in my life. So I can smile in the midst of hardship. And I'm learning how to demonstrate joy in the midst of adversity. I'm learning how to sing songs in battles that I don't know the outcome of. That's what will touch other people's lives and say, what's different about you? Why are you like this? Because I'm tired 
I'm speaking for other people. Now, I'm tired of seeing people who mouth off about God, but when life gets bad or when I watch them in the business world, they're just as bad as everybody else. Their attitude sucks. So I don't want to be a Christian because it doesn't do anything. In fact, Christians get hard-edged. They're even worse. Because they speak truths they don't live and they don't have love, so they become Pharisees and they're actually really ugly. And they're not fun to be around because they tell you what you shouldn't do all the time, but they don't actually manifest grace or life or mercy. So they actually are awful to be around. Amen. So before we judge them, look in the mirror and say, well, am I demonstrating the love and the peace and the patience and the power of Jesus that makes them thirsty for the living God? Do I demonstrate a humility and an openness that says, you know, I can't live without Jesus. I'm unashamed of him and I'm totally, totally indebted to him for changing my life. You see, what God is doing, I was counseling a guy this week and saying, you know, the hardest thing for you to learn is how to live from the inside out. Because you spent your whole life living from your circumstances in. And you've lost control and, and, and it's, it's been hell on earth for years. Now, how do you start learning to live from the inside out? So what we've been learning is that in Egypt we look at the problems. In the promised land perception we look at the challenges and the solutions. We're not intimidated by the problems. We anticipate the problems. And we say, Lord, what is your provision for this problem? Because you're building character in me. The space between Egypt and the promised land can be six months or it could be 40 years. It all depends on how we enter in. So the issue is not God who says, well, I want to take my time with you and I want you to be depressed for another 30 years. The issue is about my willingness to allow him to work in my life. I thought every now and again I'd read you a quote from that prophetic word just to remind us. This time of favor upon the island is a time for training and reigning. R-E-I-G. You are supposed to learn how to live in a massive confidence in the nature of God. Every promise, every prophecy spoken to you in the past, take them up again. They will be fulfilled in this time. You need to reactivate them. You need to pursue them. Let me say this again. Do not be passive. You need to kill your passivity stone dead. That's why I'm saying this to you. Do this in groups where you can call each other up, when you can say to each other, you're flagging in your favor. You're letting things happen in your life. You shouldn't be allowing things to happen because you've got favor. You need to attack everything with the favor of God. That's why we need one another. We need one another to help us to enter into the promises that have been given us in Jesus. As Mary Ann said, she wouldn't have come out today probably if somebody hadn't said come out. We need one another to do that. I don't know how to illustrate this other than to share what, you know, the last four years, of five years have been 
Um, and I, I don't know how to do this because it's, it's, so, it's real, the stuff. I'll take f- four areas of my life. And it works different for different people. I'm just gonna, you're just going to have to, I'm going to pull the plug on this thing. Um, it, 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 it's different for different people and you have to work out, thank you, can I go? You have to work out what, how it works for you. For me, um, when God started sort of softening me up and drawing me back to himself after I had gone through such turmoil and I'm sick of telling the story and you're sick of hearing it, um, sort of the Psalms were hugely important for me um, because I, I, I read them and as, as Carol was speaking them, I mean, there lot, there's lots in the Psalms that speaks very powerfully of the love and the power of God. And I was at a place where, I mean, my circumstances were, were very, very vulnerable. And financially it was very vulnerable. And my own life was very, very vulnerable. And I didn't know what to do because I was very isolated at that time for all kinds of reasons and very alone. And I spent some, almost a year reading the Psalms and renovating the house and singing to the Lord. And you've heard one or two. I'm not going to sing a whole song. I'm I'm trying to demonstrate something. I didn't know what I was doing other than I was refocusing my life. And I would get up and quite often, um, because it was so unclear where things were going, I'd be pretty terrified. And I thought I might have to sell the house. And I thought, I didn't know what I was going to do. And so, for me, I could, I, could, I could write and I could sing and I could sort of minister to myself or minister to the Lord. And so you've heard this, and I'm just doing excerpts from three songs to demonstrate this. When the storm clouds form, the sky grows dark, I will trust in you, O Lord, my God. When the waves roll in high, and the waters run down deep, I will trust in you, O Lord. Now I'm talking to my spirit. I'm trying to say spirit, for God's sake, settle down. For you, O Lord, are my help and shield. You're my refuge night and day, night and day. And you're my path to light my way. You're my shelter and you're my friend. And on you I will depend. I'd sing that day after day after day. When the vine bears no fruit. And I thirst, but the rains don't fall. I will trust in you, O Lord, my God. When I walk the beach alone, and I whisper in the wind, 
I will trust in you, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are my help and shield. You're my refuge night and day, night and day. And you're my path to light my way. You're my shelter and you're my friend. And on you I will depend. You might need to go for a walk. You might need to take an iPod and play a song because you don't write or sing. You might need to sing with it. But you need to speak to your spirit and say, this is what is my truth. This is what is my truth. And I can't tell you how many times I would start, pick up this guitar, very often I'd put it down, but very often also I'd pick it up and start singing and I would sense the hope coming back or the peace I would sing the song which we sing here now, and I rewrote. You, O Lord, are a safe place to be. And you, O Lord, are a safe place for me. You calm my heart and you take all my fears. You draw me near with your love. You draw me near. That was old. That was written a long time ago. But something was coming up inside me and then I started singing that you should be my father and I should be your child. And I couldn't sing anymore because I just started crying. For about two weeks. Because the Lord was telling me that in my spirit. Because I hadn't felt it for seven years, eight years. I'd been in Egypt. I'm not speaking theory here whatsoever. There's not one item of theory I'm speaking to you. I'm speaking about how to stand in the battle, how to grow up and how to become strong. You become strong when you're weak, but you choose to do the stuff that seems foolish. And God begins to show you the truth of who you are on the inside. And you need to cry and say, yes, Daddy, thank you. You should be my father, and I should be your child, beloved by your side, in mercy reconciled. It's a wonder, it's a glory, it's a joy to be told, abiding in your love. And God started making that real. But the Father started making that real and strengthening and saying, you know, there is a future for you and what has been lost will be found and you are lost and you are found. And one day, the other's the last one, I've sang a little bit of this to you, but I'm just trying to give you, again, you might need to go for a walk. You might need to do what you need to do, but you need to do something to learn how to feed your spirit and keep yourself that rudder straight when the storms are there. You also need people, obviously, but we also have to take responsibility for our directions. And we 
we tend to live in, I won't do it until I feel like it. I won't do it it until it's convenient. I won't do it until I have this or I have that. And Jesus is continually saying, now is the time. Now is the time. The only reason you won't do it is you don't think there's anything on the other side. But you'll never discover it until you do it. And I've tried very, very, you know, um, unhelpfully to... to, I wanted to write something about the prodigal son and I I could never get there. And then one day... Because one of the things I often do is, you know, I sing in tongues and I just go, you know, I start singing and doing whatever because I'm just saying, Lord, here I am, you know, it's me again. And then I sometimes play things and, and, and something comes and I can't remember how this is, but I remember going... You are wonderful So very kind And you never, never, never Will break the bruised reeds How can I thank you, Lord? How can I give you praise enough For you have loved me from afar And you, you have drawn me near And you are gentle with me Slow to anger or condemn And you give new life to those dying in despair. And I'd cry through this. Yes, you did. Yes, you do. And you will. You are faithful to me. Giving strength to the weak. And you give new vision to those who struggle so much to see. Whatever works, my brothers and sisters, it's important for us to learn how to speak to our spirits the truth of the love of God the Father for us. If we don't, we will never survive. We will never do anything other than hold on with our fingertips. And I think I'm a testimony. I'm much tougher now. I know how to endure. I know how to persevere. It's the grace of God, but I know what it's like. I want to say to you a couple of other things. So that one of the ways of God helping the promised land to come into the Egypt of my life was through the songs and through the words that were speaking the psalms into my spirit day after day after day after day. When I came back into this church, I was still pretty angry to some degree or hurt or something, and I spoke to her about that here. But my personal life was absolutely under huge strain for the first year, as you know. not blaming anything, I'm just saying. So very often to stand up here... I was walking in faith, but my life was just said, Lord, I don't know what you're going to do with it. And I had to say, Lord, I trust that you believe, you, you love me enough to work it out, even though for me it's incredibly painful.
And I've tried to demonstrate that in front of you. I've been very transparent. But God has also been faithful. And I'm trying to say this very personally because it's not easy stuff. We need one another, but it's no good you being so thankful that I'm here. It's us being so thankful that we're here to fight a battle and grow together. I can't do it for you and you can't do it for me. All we can do is love one another through it and encourage one another in the stuff. Which means openness, transparency, humility, perseverance, encouragement. And so God's provision there was you just keep trusting and keep worshipping and keep doing and it will work out. But it takes time. The other one was joining the Anglican Church. The first you know, time to go into that again ended up being very painful because there was a lot of conflict that emerged out of something that I shared and was misunderstood. And we had to work through that and the rejection that raised up in me. And I went to, ironically, I went to be interviewed yesterday because they're doing a DVD on those who've left the Anglican Church and, you know, we're the pioneers. And so, like Che Guevara, you know, sort of, please tell us your story. And what is sad was I went in there early and, and somebody was giving her testimony in, on the DVD, being interviewed. And, you know, her story was three months old. And I just said to her, it's amazing. You know, it, this could be 12 years ago easily. And it's just so sad. The pain that's continued and continued and continued. But God, I believe, says, you know, trust me again. Trust me with this and let's be part of something more positive and constructive. And who knows what God's going to do. The final one I would say is, you know, this whole journey of trying to write. You have no idea how much rejection comes behind the book. Um, I tried many times for Googling God before it got published and then since then I've written two manuscripts in draft form that have both been rejected, one twice. And the last time the guy said, you know, John, you, you, you've got some real gifts in writing, but we, the economic situation and all the rest of it. So I have to go, Lord, this is brutal. Or go, no, it's in its embryonic form. And so I go, what do I do? And this guy gives me some literary agents and said, maybe try some of them to, to help you. So I wrote off a letter to you know, three literary agents. Um, and actually last night, I got a they normally take three months, and I got a reply from one who, who made some comments like, I can see you can write, but do you think anybody would pick this up? And it's actually just what I want. Because I'm trying to, I was, I've written a book about friendship and relationship, but it's really quite boring in presentation. So I need somebody to help me get it through. And so I was thinking about writing another book about the cross called... Uh, I like uh, Dancing in Heaven's Doorway as the title over this week. But as I sat there last night, I think the Lord might have been saying, why don't you use Dancing in Heaven's Doorway for the one in friendship and just move it in that way. All I'm trying to say is all these things are processes. And they're processes of praying and listening and wrestling and being rejected and then coming back again and saying, Lord, what I do. And it seems to me it's how we possess the promised land. That we do it through, you know that picture that Jesus said in this parable of the woman kneading the dough or the tares and the wheat. It's about getting involved and letting God work through it all. Getting dirty.
And I just want to encourage us with that, that life is mixed up. I, I got a, 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 um, a newsletter from Royal Roads uh, on, on a business course that they're doing, and uh, I, re- I just read an excerpt, and, and one of the entrepreneurs said, one of the things that we had to learn was kill the darlings. Kill the darlings. Kill the darlings means if it doesn't work, can it? And I think one of the things in our lives we need to learn is kill the darlings. If something's not working in your life, change. And if your Christian life isn't growing, it's probably because you've got too many things that you're just keeping alive for no reason whatsoever. And as we go into battle, as we get prepared for God to use us, we need to say, Lord, how are you going to grow me up? And he's going to do that by putting you in circumstances that are going to be awkward that are going to test you and you're going to have a choice to make as to whether you're going to walk into that or whether you're going to say no. And quite frankly, it's more fun to cry before the Lord and say help than to just be angry. It's more fun to walk toward the promised land than stay in slavery. It's more fun to be insecure and to not know what's going to happen than to be safe in bondage. There's no life there. So I pray that God will help us to rev up the ambulances and get the heck out of that place and into the battle and enjoy the battle. I close with Graham Cook made this comment and he said, you know, when you go from Egypt to to the promised land, there are three stages. You have closure, you have conversion, and then you have communion. You have the place where you say, I'm no longer a slave. You then have the place of learning what it means to be free, and that's what we think, I think many of us are doing. And then there's the place of now I'm equipped to go and take some ground. Which is what Paul said. He said, I, 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 take hold, I press on to take hold of that which, for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So as we go from here, God, you are a little ambulance. Everything inside you is put there by God to heal, to rescue, to restore, to save. You have everything inside you that is required to bring life and healing because Jesus is inside you. So the issue is where will that ambulance be positioned? And I pray that we will increasingly go, Lord, I'm really tired of being parked amongst a bunch of similar ambulances. I want to be out there. I want to be in places where you can actually use me. And he'll use you just as you are because you are a unique ambulance. You are a unique person, but Jesus is also the same yesterday, today and forever. What am I saying? I'm saying, why don't we stop asking God to heal us? Why don't we stop asking God to do anything? Why don't we just say, Lord, I want to follow you. And in the process of following you, the healing and all the other stuff will come. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord, that uh, you have good news for all of us. I mean, your love is profound for every single one of us. To listen to your heart right now and let Jesus talk to you for a minute. I'm not going to talk.
Wherever your heart is heavy, the Lord says, I have a provision for you. I have strength for you. I have presence for you. I am with you. So reflect on what is going on in your heart as to whether your heart is filled with the awareness of your circumstances. And if you can, ask Jesus to turn that around and say, Lord, will you fill my heart with your presence so that I actually become strong for the circumstances that I am in? Because Jesus' promise to you is that as he lives in you uh, with strength, you will be equipped to manage those circumstances in a way that honors him and surprises you. And as he works in our hearts and says, I am present for you and in you, so our hearts change our minds and our thinking so that we're no longer so afraid and we know that he will be faithful for us no matter what the circumstances. And so the invitation for you and for me is to invite the Holy Spirit to make that real in us. Thank you, Jesus, that whatever giants I see right now, they do not have authority in this land. Whatever I'm afraid of right now, I bring your cross before them and I take authority and I thank you that I'm safe in you. I'm not afraid. And Jesus, I pray that you will release peace on this body. Release peace in our hearts. Release courage. Release hope and joy. Release excitement and expectancy that you are doing things deeply in us and, and you're going to release us into ways that we've never seen before. We, we, we step into the favor that you have promised for this church and say, will you, Lord, increase that? And we speak against our passivity that wants you to do just one more thing before we move. And just give us, Lord, a, a sense of what it is you're calling us to do. It might be, he's going to say to you, I just want you to spend 15 minutes a day this week listening to worship music and saying, thank you. I drove over here this week and I, I, I thought of the, 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 the phrase that Jesus said to, to Simon Peter and he said at the end when he had so messed up and Simon was broken and Jesus just said to him, Peter, do you love me? Simon, do you love me? And so what a cool way to worship the Lord is, is just spend 15 minutes saying, Lord, Jesus, I love you that you love me. I love you that you care for me. I love you that you will never let me go. I love you that you have taken everything I've ever done wrong and you've paid for it on the cross, even though I don't understand that. I love you that there's nowhere that I can go that you can't see me. I love you that you're not disappointed with me. I love you that when I am around, you are delighted. And I am struggling to know what that means, but I love the thought of that. I love the thought of you telling me that, you, that I am your favorite. 
because I don't know what that feels like. Jesus, I love you that you have come out of the promised land to meet me. And you, you have hope for me and you have joy for me that I'm struggling to get from this side. And I love you that you do not give up on me because I'm so afraid right now. Now you spend 15 minutes talking like that. And let God's Spirit encourage you from the inside out. And give Jesus permission to release your emotions, to engage with Him. Some of us are so grown up and yet behave like little children. But when we're little children in the kingdom, we become very grown up in the Spirit. So Lord, will you just speak your words into our hearts? Thank you for what you are doing. And let's just lead this meditative thing into, into a song and allow God's Spirit to...